Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today from the Holy Gospel, the 18th chapter of St. Matthew, these words, And then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy times seven. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. The past few years have seen a number of you being able to celebrate your 50th anniversaries of marriage, and that indeed is something for which we should all thank God. Today there's another couple that joins the rank of you. Dale and Fran Jenkins are celebrating their 50th anniversary. We congratulate them for that. 50 years, indeed something to celebrate. Reminds me of a couple a number of years ago who was celebrating their golden wedding anniversary and the master of ceremonies for that festive event said 50 years of marriage and you both seem so happy you both seem so content how is it looking he said at the the wife how is it that you could live with this man for so long and be so happy and be so content and the woman smiled at her husband who then in turn winked at her she then stepped up to the microphone and she said, On our wedding day I decided that I would make a list of ten of my husband's faults which, for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook. The MC then asked, Well, will you tell me uh, which of those ten faults was it, or what were those ten faults that you chose to overlook? And the woman smiled and she answered, Well, to tell you the truth, I never did get around to making that list. But whenever my husband did something that made me mad, I'd say to myself, lucky for him, that's one of the ten. <laughs> now that's an attitude of forgiveness that our Lord would have all of us imitate. That's the, the attitude of forgiveness that he's speaking about in our gospel text for today, that forgiving one another comes not a few times, but indeed comes seventy times seven an indefinite number of times, a loving attitude that we would have toward one another, an attitude that St. Paul talks about when he says this kind of an attitude is an attitude that doesn't seek its own. It's an attitude that doesn't, he says, seek revenge. It's not easily provoked by the other. And it does not keep an accounting, St. Paul says, of wrongs that have been suffered. It's an attitude of forgiving love that doesn't keep lists. It does not keep lists. It's the forgiving kind of attitude that looks at the wrongs that have been done against it by someone else. And then rather than dwelling on those wrongs and being obsessed with the wrongs that have been committed and exaggerating them as we so often do out of proportion so that they're much larger than they originally were. Instead of that, it's an attitude that looks when it's offended by another first at its own self, at its own sins, and it candidly says as it looks at its own sins, my sins against God are so far greater than those sins that have been committed against me that now irritate me. How can I harbor any longer these unforgiving thoughts toward my brother or my sister when I think of how forgiving God has been toward me? How can I harbor unforgiving thoughts when I consider the magnitude of what I've been forgiven by God. Isn't that what Jesus is saying today? Even in the parable that he told, a magnitude of sin forgiven, 
that's suggested so clearly by our Lord in the gospel when he speaks about the king, you heard it, the king who forgave his servant 10,000 talents. Today we probably wouldn't have ordinarily the slightest idea what 10,000 talents would be, but a talent, as you calculate it backwards and work it out, was about 15 years of work for a hired servant. 15 years of work by, on a servant's wages. 10,000 would be about 150,000 years of labor. The equivalent of you owing trillions of dollars to someone today. In fact, Josephus, the famous Jewish historian that lived before the time of our Lord, tells us in his writings that the entire annual revenue from Jewish taxes was only 600 talents. And here this man owed 10,000 talents to the king. What he's speaking about is an, an unrepayable debt. An unrepayable debt that the king forgives. And yet, how unwilling this forgiven servant is to forgive the far smaller debt that was owed to him by another. That's why Luther says a Christian shouldn't be like that. Christians should, should have a different practice, Luther says. When he sees a speck of dust in his brother's eyes, he should go look at himself first in the mirror before he passes judgment upon his brother. And then, Luther says, in Luther's typical and forthright fashion, then he says, then he will find the beams in his own eye. While he's looking for the speck in the other, he'll see the beams in his own eye. Luther says, beams that are big enough to make a hog's trough. And then he goes on to say, my sins are nothing but large oaks, 30 feet tall. And I allow the paltry motes, the specks of dust in my brother's eye to irritate me more than my large beams in my eye? This shouldn't be, he says. I must first see how to get rid of my own sins, and this will keep me so busy that I suppose I shall forget about the specks of dust that are in my brother's eye. If only we all would take to heart and then practice in our daily living the kind of attitude that our Lord speaks of in today's text, that Luther indeed speaks of in our relationships with one another. Can you imagine how different things would be if we would do that with one another? So often the wrong that's done to us is little more than a careless word that's been spoken. There was no malice intended. Simply a careless word spoken. Perhaps a, an insensitivity shown to someone, but no malice of heart really intended. Someone says something that hurts us, but no malice was intended. Someone does something that excludes us or perhaps ignores us and we want it to be noticed, or perhaps irritates us. Right away we assume the worst and we assume malice of heart and we overreact in turn and we're ready to jump all over them, we're ready to, to cut them off even though they were merely careless. They didn't have any malice in mind. We get so bent out of shape and so upset that we're ready to verbally chew them out or at least cut them off altogether and not deal with them at all. That kind of unforgiving spirit is also an unreasonable spirit. 
It's not one that's even reasonable. It doesn't really make sense. Demonstrated once again by Luther as he looks at this whole attitude of being unforgiving toward one another. And he writes, if I injure an eye with one of my fingers, I accidentally poke myself in the eye, he says, I don't for this reason become so impatient that I cut off my finger and throw it away. Even though my finger did injure my eye, yet the hand serves well on other occasions and for other purpose, doesn't it? In fact, it serves the whole body. And the same principle, Luther says, applies so far as other members of my body are concerned. I often bite my lips, he says. My tongue I bite with my teeth, but I don't for this reason pull my teeth out. We're all, through faith, Paul makes it clear, members of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church. You may be a finger, I might be an eye, but because you poke me periodically, should I therefore perform some radical surgery of cutting you off and throwing you away? Or I may be a tooth, and you may be a lip or a tongue, and because I bite you now and then, would you pull me out and throw me away? Very practical matters that Luther speaks of here. How mangled and how dismembered the body of Christ would be. How mutilated and maimed marriages and families today too often are. And relationships too often are. Because of that unforgiving spirit that assumes malice and overreacts to, to lesser wrongs that are suffered. To exaggerated sins that have been committed. It's one thing to cut off a member of the body which has become hopelessly infected and gangrious. That we need to do for the good of the body, even as in the church sometimes when there's impenitence in sin and persistent impenitence in sin or when there's false doctrine that's being taught that's going to infect and affect the whole body, then yes, then in those extreme cases it is necessary to, to cut off a finger because it might indeed become gangrious and affect the whole body but not ordinarily, not for the kinds of things of which we speak. That's hardly in keeping with the words of the Lord Jesus in our text for today. Lord Peter asked him, how many times should I forget my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. You see, Peter thought he was being extremely generous because it was a rabbinical thought of the time that you should forgive three or at most four times. That's one more than the three. And Jesus says, uh, and, and, and Peter, of course, is willing to double that and, and says even, no, oh, even up seven times I would forgive. And Jesus says to him, no, not, not simply seven times, Peter, but I'm telling you 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Indefinitely, whether it's 77 times, as some versions say, or 70 times seven, as others say, the point is clear of our Lord. Don't get caught up in counting offenses. To count the number of times you've been wronged only nurtures that unforgiving spirit that's just waiting to get revenge. Be ready to forgive. No matter how many offenses you've suffered, be ready to forgive. Treat each other as though it were the first offense and, and think of it as the last. Lest you let it come up in the future and trouble you all over again. Forgive your brother from your heart, Jesus says. Forgive him as Esau 
forgave his brother Jacob. Remember them in the Old Testament? Jacob who had stolen the birthright from his brother Esau. And then later on, Esau comes after his brother and Jacob runs off, fearful and afraid that Esau is going to take his life and he sees his brother approaching from a distance with 400 of his men, convinced his brother is going to try to assault him. And scripture tells us that Esau ran up to meet Jacob instead and embraced him and fell on his neck and together they wept. A brother forgiving a brother. Forgive him even as Joseph, in the Old Testament lesson for today, forgave his brothers from his heart. They'd thrown him into a pit from which he was delivered and brought into Egypt, you'll recall. And despite that intent on their part, they're forgiven. You meant me harm, Joseph says to his brothers who had years before thrown him into that pit and then sold him into slavery. You meant me harm. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done through me. And here he was at the top echelon of Egypt. The saving of many lives because of it. Forgive each other as Moses forgave his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam who had rebelled against his authority and then suffered the wrath of God which came upon them in the form of leprosy which covered Miriam's body instantly. And Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O Lord, heal her, I pray. And he forgave her. Forgive each other as the Lord himself has set before us such a, a wonderful example. Forgiving those who had nailed him to the cross, forgiving us indeed too, saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Be kind to one another, St. Paul says, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We can't look to the cross, but think of forgiveness that's undeserved and unmerited. Forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's how he's forgiven you. He didn't wait to provide a sacrifice for your sins until you first had done something to indicate that you deserved it. Even before you were born, before the world was even created, God laid out a plan for your salvation, for your forgiveness, and he set that plan in irreversible motion even before you were born, created, and even knew that you were a sinner. He, Scripture says, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, not because of what you've done, but the kind intention of his will, he being rich in mercy, scripture says, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Did he withhold his love from you until you first proved that you loved him and then he loved you as a reward? No. We love, St. John says, because he first loved us. When we were so unlovable, when we were still enemies, that's how God demonstrated his love for us, that when we were still enemies, he died for us. In this is love, he says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, 
John says, if God has so loved us, ought we then not also so to love one another? You see, forgiveness isn't something that you hold and reserve until your offender has proven worthy of it. It's something you long to give him. It's something you long to freely offer, even as God freely offers it to us all. It's a debt that we could never repay. And it's a debt that we never have to repay. The story is told of two friends who lost in the desert were trying desperately now to find their way out of the desert. During some point of the journey, they had an argument about which way they should go. The one friend said, no, we should go this way. And the other friend insisted, no, it's this way that we should be going. They didn't want to part from one another. And they argued indefinitely about the, the way in which they would go, frustrated, tired, angry, afraid. One of the men became so irate with the other that he actually hit him in the face and he knocked him to the ground. And then stunned by it all, the man who had been knocked to the ground slowly got up. He said nothing. He walked a few feet and he picked up a stick and he simply wrote in the sand, Today, my best friend slapped me in the face and knocked me to the ground. As you might expect, there was uncomfortable silence and both rested. Things cooled down a bit. Then they got up and they made their way through the desert again until finally, with great joy, they made it to an oasis with trees and grass and flowers and water, precious water, water in which they were eager to swim and bathe. And so exhilarated were they that throwing caution to the wind, they jumped right into the water, the water which amazingly was much deeper than the man who had been hit to the ground knew it would be, and he couldn't make his way out of it because he didn't know how to swim. And realizing suddenly how deep the water was, he panicked and he began to cry for help, throwing his arms up and down and all around. And his friend who had hit him to the ground now came to his aid and prevented him from drowning. Getting to water's edge, they both lay there exhausted for a time, not by the sun, but now by the deep water. And finally, getting his breath back, the man who had been first knocked down and then had nearly drowned but had been saved got up. And he grabbed a hard, sharp-edged rock. And he took the sharp-edged rock over to a large stone. And he carved in that large stone, Today, my best friend saved my life and I'm indebted to him forever. And his friend said, after I hit you and I hurt you, you wrote in the sand and now you carve in the stone. Why? And the friend replied, wisdom writes the offenses of friends in the sand where the wind of forgiveness blows it all away, but it engraves the charity of friends in the rock where wind can never erase it and nothing can blow it away. Dear friends, no charity ever shown you exceeds that charity, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose forgiveness has forgotten all that our sins put him through as he suffered and died for us on earth and experienced in our stead an eternity's worth of hell. 
no love ever known excels that which long ago engraved, as it were, these words upon these hearts of stone, my best friend saved my life, and to him, to him, I am indebted forever. God, give us that spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.